There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mr. Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. It's a June mailbag, so if today's episode is rubbish, it's generally your fault. We're going to get straight into the mailbag today but before i bring in my expert panel i just want to read a couple of emails that were you know a little bit personal and and stuck out to me so charles has messaged to say just a quick note your podcast really is something special i'm not sure if you get positive feedback emails or just a steady stream of suggestions and complaints but i'm sure there are many like me who appreciate sensible balanced i've never been accused of that before informed and fun independent f1 commentary from your shows you've got something special i hope things are going well and the and the podcast community is fantastic thank you from charles so i just want to say if you do want to get in touch for something that isn't a a question uh, you just want to tell me how mr apex podcast fits into your world or, or what it means to you or where you listen to it i always make the time to try and listen to those things and and yes we do get a steady stream of suggestions slash complaints but it is massively massively overwhelmed by the amount of you that are supportive of what we've been doing and have been doing so since uh since about 2016 no so no never feel bad about just emailing for no reason get in touch i always make time uh, to to read those dms and read those emails and then we've got a very random thank you to all of you on our podcast from Seely. Uh, on the first of february my dad died and following the following day, all I could do was listen to Miss Apex. My dad introduced me to F1, me too, when I was about five years old, me too. He tried MotoGP, but F1 won. And then for the following 33 years, it has been one thing that we could always talk about, bond over. And I was listening to one of your magazine shows the day after he died, and it was extremely 
soothing to me. And it reminded me of the many conversations we've had, particularly of the 1999 European Grand Prix. It was mentioned as an all-time classic. And hands down, I cannot remember another race like it. Back in the 90s and the 2000s, I only got to listen to races live on the radio. And my dad would record them off the telly on VHS. That race, uh, following the action on the radio and then watching it on later with my notebook by my side. It was great memories. Thank you very much from, from Cecil. And, and like I say, we love hearing stuff like that. Please do tell me how you listen to the show, where it slots into your routine. I absolutely love that. Just message me, talk to me. I promise you it is one of the best parts of doing Missed Apex podcast. Because we're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by our Monaco super sub host, Jonathan Simon. Thank you, Jono, for taking over for the Monaco Grand Prix. It was fun. I know you're not the biggest fan of Monaco. Surely after this year, you come back for, for next one? I See, the thing is, every time you build up enough credit of saying the Monaco Grand Prix is like oddly uneventful and it should definitely be dropped, you'll get the odd one that comes along that has a vague amount of, of interest. And it's always a little bit rain related. And no matter how much you caveat, Monaco is definitely pointless unless there's that exactly correct amount of rain Every time the rain comes, people go, see, that completely justifies the last five years of garbage. No, it doesn't. No, it does <laughs> no, not. It doesn't. And you know what? I'll tell you this. That's the <clears throat> law of averages for you. The next one is going to be good. If you have 10 bad races, surely the next one's going to be an entertaining one. And you missed it. No, if from now on, I don't mind. I was happy that if I got you to sub in, at least there was some, some interest for that one. But from now on, Monaco Grand Prix, that's yours. I'm also joined in the shed by our mad Viking, Christian Pedersen. Hey, K-Ped. Good evening, my friends. Mm, why, why, why is Matt never here when I'm here? Uh, he doesn't like you just at all. Like, just straight up. You know, like, I, I sensed it, mm. uh, but... Confirmed. Okay. Yeah, he says he says uh, he once took a trip to the Little Mermaid. It took forty five minutes walk and a boat, and it was rubbish. And that's why he doesn't like you. I, I'm just going <laughs> to say, on behalf of the Danish population, I'm just I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, I hope we can forget it. Uh, <laughs> do a podcast in the future together. No, uh, Matt has a gig. He has a job, you know, blowing through a, a trumpet. But hey, uh, Christian, you were great on the the last show we did. You know, reflecting on olden days times, and when you you get a, an email like like um, Sally's one, uh, which, by the way, you know, obviously as a mailbag show, oh, we would dive straight into the mailbag. Uh, when you get a, an email like that, it kind of reminds us why we all love motorsport so much, you know. And this is why, actually, I take it a little bit personally when people come into the F1 podcast space and then just dump on F1 like, well, like little brats. But like the passion around motorsport, what it invokes in you, the way it bonds people... Is, is something, you know, really special. I had a similar, you know, bond with my father over motorsport. For me, it was my mother, actually. Um, I don't know why. She was just always into fast, noisy cars. And uh, whenever they were on the TV, she was like, look, 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 cars, <laughs> go around. I don't care. I want to windsurf, whatever. But uh, And it <laughs> never really did anything for me. But when I grew up and, uh, and realized it, it was thanks to her. I, I watched Ronnie Peterson, not a good day, but the day he lost his life, I think it was at Monza on my brother's birthday. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the first Formula One uh, memory I have, which is because my mom forced us all to <laughs> watch it on his birthday and that was a kill. Not good, but, you know, that's racing. 
It's good to know that your first Formula One memory is of, you know, Ronnie, that was a sad memory, but he was one of the greatest drivers ever to to pilot a Formula One car. My first memory was Austria 2002. And that wasn't a very good memory because Ferrari switched the cars oh, at the yes, finish line and oh, yeah. did all that little schmozzle. But I will add to to uh, the mailbag question we did get in, or not really a question, but sort of a nice uh, statement and story, which was people don't appreciate what it was like to watch F1, especially in the 90s. And I remember hearing stories about people in the 50s and 60s who would find out Jim Clark passed away a month later through newspapers because it was so hard to access information back then. Yeah, and it, God, you're making me think of what are my first memories. But you first, Christian. The 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 entire event back in the days was was the thing, right? You you went there with people. It was uh, it was like a holiday. It still is for some people, but nowadays a lot of people just can get the same amount of information elsewhere. Uh, back then, it was a different matter. Basically, you, you camped there, and it's a bit of the Le Mans feeling at the Formula One races, actually. Ah, uh, you see, I never went to a Formula One race until 2013. That's the the first time I was able to to get to a Grand Prix. And so for me, you know, you know little tiny violins. But economically, getting to Silverstone was difficult, even even back in the olden days. And a foreign Grand Prix just just absolutely was never on. If they'd have got a Copenhagen Grand Prix in there somewhere, I might have been able to sneak in. Uh, but for me, it's they did always actually have one. Did they? No, uh, no, in Roskilde. Oh, that's in the South. In the South. No, it's uh, the suburbs of Copenhagen. Oh, okay. So when when did they manage that? I can't. I think it was in the 70s or something. It wasn't Ah, an actual Formula One race. I think it was just like a circle or something. (laughs) But it was uh, called a Formula One race. Or maybe there was just a Formula One car. Never mind. It's somewhere on (laughs) Wikipedia. (laughs) But for me, Formula One was always a TV sport growing up. So I've always known it as a TV sport. But that that didn't dull the passion for it at all. And I do briefly remember, I have a real memory of being in a playground that means I must have been about six or seven, otherwise I wouldn't be in that playground, and telling people I was a Ricardo Patrese fan. And I have no idea why I'm a Ricardo <laughs> Patrese fan. I think he drove for Williams. Uh, I may have been, That might be why I've always been a Williams fan. But actually, one of my earliest memories that I can really remember is Nigel Mansell you know, blowing that, that win by either knocking his fuel pump off or whatever he did. Jono? <laughs> I was going to say, it, were you just saying the Ricardo Patrese thing to zig when everyone zags? Maybe. Because maybe he doesn't. You were his only fan back then. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe I was just being like alternative, like, yeah, I'm not, I don't even wear jeans. I, we don't even have a TV in my house. Yeah, I'm a Ricardo Patrese <laughs> fan for some reason. Well, everyone correctly was like into Nigel Mansell, Alan Prost, and, and Ayrton Senna. Which I will add, back then, now I know I wasn't alive during the early 90s, but wasn't that like being a Sergio Perez fan, which you kind of are now? I'm not being a Sergio Perez fan just to be difficult. I've genuinely like been supporting him like all through his, his journey. And actually, one of my favourite times in, in Formula One uh, watching Perez was when he was teamed up with Kobayashi uh, at Sauber. And I genuinely thought, here are two talented drivers in a midfield team, you know, pushing. And it's almost kind of that Haas vibe where you had Magnussen and Grosjean where you went... These two guys, they could push this team forward. This team could go and nick a result. Remember uh, the battle in Malaysia, uh, Paris, and mm. was it Alonso in the Ferrari? Alonso. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. And they were up there a lot because both of those guys were managing their tyres really well. And it was Sauber, wasn't yeah. it? I'm not imagining it. I think they were Sauber. It was Sauber, yeah. yeah. And, and they was. definitely had like even like a front row lockout at one point as well. And it might have been a Hungarian... I'm going to guess. I'm going to say Hungarian Grand Prix 
and I hope that no one looks it up. I can't remember. Yeah, but they were generally, genuinely like a pairing of, of, of drivers that were, again, not the top, top level drivers, but just had something and on their day, they could produce a strategy, they could drive forward, pull that qualifying out of the, the bag, make an alternate, alternate strategy work. So no, I'm not just supporting Sergio Perez to be difficult. How dare you, Jono? How dare no, you? I said different, not difficult. Oh, I know. Different. I saw it in your eyes. <laughs> I saw it in your eyes. <laughs> the All connection right. didn't come across right. Why don't we get into our mailbag? We've got a lot of great questions here today. So uh, this one is from Chris in Maryland. It's a good question. If you could magically restart the season and swap any two drivers, knowing how things have played out so far, who are you swapping? And this is great to learn the most about the true order of the grid? This is such a good question. So if you can swap two drivers so that you can make a relative comparison to learn more about the true order of the grid, and that is, by the way, low-key, one of the funnest things about F1, teasing apart who really are the great drivers, who's doing what with what machinery, who's overdriving the car, who's underdriving the car, who's getting 110% impossibly out of a car. Let's see, Chris continues and says, I think the answer for him is either Perez or Stroll for one of the uh, Alpines, maybe Norris, Albon or or Sonoda. Personally, I would swap Stroll and Norris. If Lando is the real deal, he should be at least Alonso's equal. And if Lance couldn't best a rookie, he shouldn't be on the grid. Love the podcast, Chris in Maryland, USA. Hello, America. A listener from America, guys. This is great. Jono. It's a good question. The premise is fantastic because teasing out the real order of these 20 drivers is one of the the funnest things I like to think about. So we're talking about drivers here and not actual cars or teams. No, no. So, so, yeah. So, so what you can do is you can basically, you mm-hmm. can put, uh, you can put Piastri up against Sargent in a Williams to see who's the best driver. You can, you can swap that around. I would love to, I mean, obviously the number one is putting, you know, Hamilton and Verstappen or Alonso and Verstappen or Alonso and Hamilton again or something like that. That would be the funnest one. But I do think putting a a, a top, what I call five-star drivers, five-star to me is a driver with world championship talent who earns it. You know what I mean? They don't get lucky. No offense, Jensen Button, tremendous driver, but that was a very good car in 2009. I think Jensen's... Jensen Button was a good enough driver that if those opportunities come along, he he would take it, you know? And there there, there have been less good drivers oh, i don't want to do this because i was such a big damon hill fan but if you look at like damon hill in a rocket ship in exactly the right time you know he was relatively lucky getting into that position with the team and then you know and then he picked up that title button's title isn't that you know he played the career game mm. well enough was significantly better than rubens barrichello so whilst your point stands i'm not gonna go out and out and go well button just fluked a title he was he had a good enough career to pick up a title We're, well we'll leave that at that like Rosberg, right? but i do like, like jensen like, yeah. so like, i won't like rosberg rosberg <laughs> is the same like rosberg mm. exactly four and a half star drivers which is what i'm trying to say I'll take that. now the reason i'm getting into this is i would like to see a five-star driver in that alpine and actually find out how good that alpine is now is the alpine a top four car it was very quick at monaco and that's the only round it's been quick this season that's what i would want to know but if you're talking about driver pairings yes i would love to put lando in one of the top three cars, not the Ferraris. I'm talking about the other top three teams. Yes, Ferrari's the fourth quickest car this year, everybody. Just letting you know that. 
And I would love to see if Lando Norris is the real deal because to him, I think Norris is a four and a half star driver and I would like to be proved wrong. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Christian, where do we put Norris? Four and a half star driver, I I think at the moment is is a stretch because he might be. But I don't know if we've we've seen that. I think that is based entirely on thumping Ricardo at this point, isn't it? I want to. Could we use the scale uh, 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 S tier as like goat class? Yeah, potential right? goat. Like, no, no one will ever. Uh, this is like the best of the best in the world. Yeah, and uh, and is Lando Norris, uh, Max Verstappen, uh, Hamilton, a uh, Schumacher? I think he's very, very, very good. I think Obviously, he's uh, uh, four point nine, yeah. maybe, but he's really? not a five. <laughs> I, I think you guys are being not look, I might end up being wrong. And this is exactly what Chris's question is saying. Who do we put Lando Norris up against where he goes in there and in the second half of his first season in that team really takes it to them and looks like the better driver? Which team do we put Norris in to prove it one way or the other? So you could be really kind of harsh and go go in at Red Bull where you're not even you're not going to get the the number one equal status car. So that kind of makes it a bit interesting. Probably the most interesting one is swap. Lando Norris for Lewis Hamilton and see how he does against George Russell. Now, if he gives George True. Russell a kick in on race pace, then you start to go, oh, ooh, maybe, maybe. That would be a very reasonable comparison, uh, those two together in a Mercedes, I would say. Uh, if I could just make a point, uh, I would, uh, I actually, I read the, the question maybe in a different way. Uh, I read it as, who would you see in the, who would you pl- uh, take from a, a team they're in now and put in another team? to see the greatest pairing. Does that make sense? I mean, uh, could, I could take, I want to take Yuki and put him in uh, Paris's seat. That would oh, be a great sorry. Red Bull for me. No. Uh, I would also like to put Ricciardo in that seat, but that's a different story. <laughs> oh, I would like to see Alban in the Aston Martin next to Alonso. Mm, yes. And, and this is just for the fun of it. But for like Vesti, who's, uh, is he leading GP2 right now? He's a Dane. Oh, let's get him in the Mercedes. He's a Mercedes go. driver. Oh, I, see, that's... Uh, I want to see him do some Formula One testing. Christian just dropped the uh, "Is he leading GP 2 which is an accidental way of saying that I've been watching F one for ten years plus, and I know what GP two used to be. Oh, did oh, I sorry, accidentally? Sorry, F2, yeah, F2. Did I accidentally <laughs> use the olden days terms? My version of doing that is I'll accidentally say "prime" and "option" instead of "medium." <laughs> nice. To go. Oh, sorry. It's just I've been watching F one so long. Sorry to. Sorry, I was leaning on this gate that I'm gatekeeping on. Right. So, Jono, you were trying to come in. <laughs> Well, no, all I was going to say was, um, I think if you did end up pairing somebody with George Russell or the other way around, and that's great um, that that was brought up, I think if you put George Russell in the Red Bull, now that is very interesting because we think George Russell has potential to win. He Okay, now Christian's invented a good class here. S-class, five-star, <laughs> yeah, and okay. then four-and-a-half-star. <laughs> S-class is your greatest of all time. Five-star are great enough to win a world championship. Four-and-a-half is lucked into a car that was really good five is i think where george russell stands at the moment but he's joined that team at the worst time could he have gotten a better car he's sort of alongside hamilton we're not really sure yet with george russell i think he has potential to be yeah. uh, an s class driver but who knows i well but i love how we're jumping around but let's stick with like russell and, and norris mm-hmm. so so i i think george russell is is fair is going to fare better than bottas but we're in that sort of ballpark because, you know, with the team settled on race pace and look, I'd, I'd love to be corrected. I'd love to be wrong because because as a Brit, I'll be happy to see, you know, another Brit breaking through into 
S class. Where does S come from? Like super? Is that S for super? For yeah, I think it's from Mario Kart, isn't it? Oh. No. I, don't, I actually don't know. It's just uh, it's better than the rest. That's all I know from YouTube. So that's okay. what I base my everything on. So I I would be happy to see you know to be wrong about this, but just, but but from what I'm seeing, the difference in the race pace, looking at the lap times, it's it's not a great deal different to to Hamilton Bottas. So somewhere in between Rosberg's somewhere in between in between that. So if you drop you know Lando Norris in there right now. Is he going to fare any better than George Russell? That's the question. But Russell, you're right, has gone in at a particularly bad time. So I think there's a resurgent Hamilton at the moment. There's a team that is still sore from Abu Dhabi 2021, who still, I, I think, would, would be backing Hamilton. And now they've gone in his engineering direction. There was a recent news story saying that Hamilton was pushing in August of last year to go in the direction they're going now. I think a lot of it to do is to do with the front suspension and the driver position because he was complaining that his driver position was too far forward compared to the rest of the cars. So the car that they are now putting out onto Grand Prix and developing with is, is, is Hamilton's vision, is a car designed for Lewis Hamilton. So when we see the results from George Russell, if he's looking a little bit off on race pace, I think we do need to bear that in mind. I think the top three teams all have a, a chosen number one driver and the Mercedes mission right now is we love you, George, you're great, but we're pushing Lewis Hamilton forward. So we have to remember that, I think, when we're talking about Russell. But Russell is at least at the hot end. So we can judge him fairly to an extent of what he's doing at the sharp end of the grid. My, my, my concern, Christian, with Lando Norris is that he has been kind of festering towards the bottom end of the grid, really struggling, really fighting a car, not, not almost like marking time, waiting for another career opportunity, waiting for something to happen. And in that environment, I don't think you always get the best out of yourself. I think it's impossible to get the best out of yourself uh, in a new team, uh, in a car that was supposed to be leading, driving in the midfield. This I think Russell it's now, yeah. Yeah, really, yeah. really uh, important to to not underestimate how much pressure is on these guys. So for uh, for uh, for Russell's sake, I, 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 I'm not seeing him doing badly in any sort of way. I think he's doing brilliantly. I, uh, the crash in Canada, yeah, but I mean... This will happen, and that's okay. Uh, last year, he was outracing Hamilton. Maybe Hamilton didn't turn it up to 11 in the car last year because of the way he drives and stuff like that, but still, he's, he's managing it up at that level. And I want to add, we, it's a bit unfair to talk about S-tier class drivers with these young guys, I think, because mm -hmm. you can't really be an S-tier driver when you're... Well, Max Verstappen is unique. Uh, he's a one-of-a-kind that is why we say it, but we didn't say that about Max Verstappen two years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and I think this is something where, if Max Verstappen's career ends now, he's always going to be a, you know an S class driver. Now, would Vettel have been the same if he'd retired in twenty fourteen? Possibly. You know, you never know. Uh, instead, now we think of Vettel as a five star driver because of the way his second half of his career went. Not to steer away from the topic, but one no. more on that. And back to the George Russell thing is. Look, I, last year is is there's no question George proved that he has potential to be one of the greatest drivers ever to hail F1. Um, he's got the speed for it. But law of averages, Lewis Hamilton had a lot of bad luck last year, and that sort of helped. And George always seemed to be quick when the car was good, which made his performances look a lot better too, and you would score more points and blah, blah, blah. Um, but this year, again, we're starting to see the averages come out, and George is now suffering the bad luck side of things. So that also has a part to play. Spanner's point is really is really good too, where the car is designed for Lewis's favour. I, think so. I but, think so. 
I, I, I think so too. And that that's put a little bit of the sway in Lewis's favor, but um, to, to the, or Christian quickly on that. Cause then I was going to say another driver we could swap. But oh, I'll yeah, yeah, it let's do that. Let's have Christian's point and go back to Johnny. Just a short one. Uh, 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 following the Hamilton plan doesn't necessarily mean a solution on the car. That plan could be getting another guy in who was on sort of a vacation-ish. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, James Allison. That's true. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, he could have been going, why, why isn't James here? That exactly. could have and been that the would be to the benefit mm. of George Russell as well. No, I'd look, I'd look, there's all... When we're having this this discussion about which drivers to swap in, the reason why I initially wanted to avoid the top three teams is precisely because one driver is going to win that political battle. It's more, we, we know of it more because it talks about more. It might be the same all the way down the grid, but, you know, you've got Alonso and Hamilton. Was 2007 the, the, the greatest way to judge who's the better driver between Alonso and Lewis Hamilton? Probably not because the garage splits a lot. You, you you get the feeling that Alonso lost the garage a little bit in the way that he's probably lost every garage and he's probably going to lose the garage at Aston Martin as well. So, yeah, when you go, let's do these driver swaps, you can't just go, right, let's smash Verstappen and Alonso together at Ferrari and see how it goes. So, Jono, next one. I, I, look, I, I think we've squeezed the the... You know the juice out of this orange a lot out of this question because yeah, it's hard it. to find the great... true picking order out of out of just one driver switch. But um, I wish this was last year because I'd love to put somebody in a Ferrari and find out if that car can actually win a world championship. Probably not, and uh, we'll we'll have to move on. So you want to see? Well, hang on. So you want to see if last year another driver could have delivered a title with Ferrari? They probably wouldn't have, no, but I'd like so. to see if Verstappen in a Ferrari oh, or I see, I see, I see. Alonso in a Ferrari or something would have been, you know, a lot better. That would have told me the true pecking order of how good Charles Leclerc is and how good Carlos Sainz is. Yeah. I think that's a bit mean because I do think both those drivers are really good. I mean, we can do that. And the car and is not. You can do that another time. You can do championship battles and say, right, swap drivers in the top cars, and and how does it affect the the title chase? So you know, I think there are cars that could have won championships with different drivers. And I'll immediately say 2009, another driver in the, the, the Red Bull could have picked that oh, title. Oh, what? Up. Yeah, I'm no. going to go with that. Well, I, that's, that, a... I, that's the impression I had at the time. Now I'd have to go back and rewatch it to, to justify it. Well, my best example to that is, uh, is 2018. And this Vettel, is Valtteri again. Bottas's... Oh, no, sorry, 2017, excuse yes. me. Valtteri yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottas's first year in Mercedes, finished fifth. In the championship, his teammate dominated, finished first. You've talking about you could have had a Sebastian Vettel, Max Verstappen, or Kimi Raikkonen world championship in a Ferrari over Valtteri Bottas. That explains oh, so, to why ah, Hamilton and Verstappen are S tier. So if Verstappen, if if Bottas was the lead Mercedes driver in 2017, and you had Verstappen in the 2017 Ferrari, a hundred percent, that's a Ferrari championship. Like, I agree with Ooh, you. I'm agreeing now- with you. Hundred percent. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting because it's early in Verstappen's career, and back then I didn't Ooh, think of point. him the way yeah, he, yeah, we yeah, think he of him now. All right, you know, that's right. interesting. Let's focus in on 2017. Who? Okay, we're Bottas <laughs> in the Mercedes, who's a very good driver, but the, that whole team was was based around Lewis uh, Lewis Hamilton at the time. So Bottas is the lead driver at Mercedes. Who do we put into the 2017 Ferrari to win a title at that time? There's a few there, like Alonso. Alonso picks up that title. Mm. There we go. For sure. <laughs> Finally, if he if he sticks with Ferrari, which he didn't. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, f- oh goodness. I just I forgot. He was like he literally dumped Ferrari to go and uh, to join the great McLaren project. 
Oh, well, good question that, Chris. I think, um, actually, I'm going to listen back to this and I'm going to pick up on all the threads and, and reclassify those as, as topics. So, moving on, let's go to a question from Michael. Michael Albon says, over the years, it seems like in most race reviews, at least one of the panellists says something like, you can't draw too many conclusions because this isn't a representative track. I do say that a lot. I love your analysis that the first six or seven races are unrepresentative and the problems it poses for F1 as a whole. I don't hear that argument elsewhere unless I'm on a show, in which case I I shout about it all the time. I wanted to ask how many of the 23 tracks on the calendar are representative in your eyes. In In my estimation, over half of the tracks are unrepresentative. I mean, that's the beauty, Christian, of Formula One in a way, isn't it? Imagine playing football every week just in, on an entirely different pitch. Sometimes it's, it's a pyramid shape. Sometimes it's sloping to the left. Sometimes wind. Sometimes in the sea. There is uh, track evolution, like in design, right? Uh, back in the days, t- tracks were tarmac, grass, mm. the end. Hay bales. Hay yeah. bales, yeah. Nowadays, they, uh, I think you, you spend more money on safety than you, you spend on tarmac uh, uh, when it comes down to it. So the evolution of, of revolution or whatever you call it of tracks is one thing. Then you have the cars. They, they, they have a formula that you, you sort of like follow. So if you wanted the car just to go fast, you would go into the desert, you would build a rocket. If you wanted to go fast on gravel and jump, you would maybe try to take a extreme E car. The what is uh, what is the word representative? Yeah. I think means what what would uh, consi- be the most consistent racetrack on a calendar, and that is constantly evolving, of course. But you build the, the car to to be fastest overall. You could basically take all the times from all the lap times from the entire year, and and it's all math basically. Uh, so if you if you can build a car that goes fast in, we all talk about Spain or Spa or somewhere like that, that holds uh, a braking zone, a high speed, medium speed, low speed, has it all. If you can build a car that goes fast around there, you have a good car. Uh, up until now, we've only had tracks that we have had a lot of uh, Bakuish style tracks. We have. And Baku is a track that is, um, it's a good example because Baku is basically just 90 degrees corners. You drive there, you brake, you turn the car, you put down the throttle. You brake, you turn, throttle. It's the most boring way to drive a racing car. And the cars are basically not built for any of that. Baku somehow goes against the entire premise of a Formula One car, if you look at it that way. So <laughs> so that is what uh, I think Spanner means. Spanner means when he's a representative, and when we go to the more European tracks, uh, Sandvoort, Spa, Bel- uh, Monza, stuff like that, that would be where the cars shine according to how they are built. And I think that's what you mean, right? And I think it's got to be, to me, it's Barcelona always. And it's yeah. not just because people have this sort of in their head, Barcelona's the, the main test track and they go, well, that's the, the that's what uses the representative times. It's Barcelona has got high speed corners, medium speed and slow speed. It's got a long straight to hit your VMAX. It's got um great DRS zone if you want to test that out. Is that really part of testing? Probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway. So you've got a whole heap of stuff going on in Barcelona. Um at the end of the day, it also and it's a very good question sent in by Michael Albon. No relation to Alex Albon, may I say? We don't know. Potentially. We I'm not sure. Know. We don't know. It's impossible yeah. to know. 
Yeah. Otherwise, we'll, uh, yeah, because, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think <laughs> that the fact that the beauty of F1, and this is the, the great part of the question, is the beauty of F1 is we don't know wh- which car's the quickest at, you know, overall because, well, I take mm. that back, actually, because so far I look at this year's sort of pecking order and Red Bull's been the quickest at every track. So that actually, I take back what I said there. But there are certain things that you can look at F1 that, and this is where the beauty comes in. If a, if a car's good at Monaco, for example, expect that same car to be good at Singapore. Not all the time, but it gives you a rough idea going into that round. And that can be a, a, a racetrack, a team target. So we remember this back in uh, before the turbo hybrid era. I remember back to the era before this, 2010. The Mercedes and the um, sorry, the McLaren at the time and the Ferraris always did well at your Monzas and Spas and those kinds of circuits. Your Red Bulls did well at the Aero kind of circuits. Overall, who's the quickest car? The quickest car generally wins. And I think mm. at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what circuit you go to. You're always going to find the quickest car over the course of a calendar. Um, there's not 20 Monzas. There's not 20 Monacos. Um, so it's the beauty of F1 that we do have a variety of racetracks. And I don't think it affects the championship too much. What sets Formula One apart from uh, all other racing series and what amazes every racing driver is the, the, the breaking force of a Formula One car. And I would say from, if you look at Formula One as a racing spec formula, uh, the brakes and what happens from around 120, 30 kilometers an hour up to 200, uh, how the drivability of the car is in, in that space of, uh, of, uh, of speed. That is where it sets it apart from everything else. Uh, and that is basically math as well. So if you wanted, you could say, okay, why don't we build uh, next year's Red Bull to do 90 degree corners like no one else? It just goes around the 90 degree. Baku is going to be a piece of cake. There's not a lot, uh, not, not enough to gain by being good at a 90 degree corner if you go that way. Even if there was more 90 degree corners, the, what you gain from being good in the areas the Formula One cars are good at today. Is gonna win you always. Mm. I I'm just realizing, listening to you guys talk, and I go, I I say this a lot. I talk about the representative tracks a lot, and I have a bias from the '90s. So while you were talking, I was googling various race calendars from 1988, and so I've settled on uh, 1998, where I would have been 17 years old and turning 18 that year. And if I look at this calendar. It's all the tracks that I think are representative, with a couple of exceptions. So it kicks off with Albert Park. Okay, fair enough. But once we go now into the, which is not really a representative. No, and I say so. And and Australia <laughs> likes to deliver us. Sorry, Jono. Australia. I get why it's you know it's early in the in the F1 calendar, and I enjoy the fact that the F1 season starts, and I have to get up at five o'clock in the morning. And you guys, you don't know what it's like. We don't know how much we Can suffer. I- can I say quickly, sorry to cut you off, is I would rather my home track not be a representative circuit because it means it's more fun Yeah, just to get to your point. So in the olden days, it's always like we go to Australia. We, it's almost like a shakedown with points is how I've kind of thought about it. It's nice. It's enjoyable. But we don't draw any conclusions uh, from that. You know, we never you never panic if your driver isn't doing well at the Australian Grand Prix. But if you look at this, the Interlagos was race two in 1998. And then it was the olden days Argentinian Grand Prix, Imola. And remember, these are a completely different spec of race car. Imola there, maybe not quite as tight and twisty as it feels today. Then you've got Catalonia, uh, Monaco, Canadian Grand Prix, Manicure, Silverstone, 
Red Bull Ring, Hockenheim, Hungaro Ring, Spa, Monza, uh, Nordschleife. Oh, was that the GP circuit at Nürburgring? There we go, yeah. And also, and then Suzuka. All of those tracks, to me, feel like traditional F1 tracks. So have I got kind of an old man bias now, where when you bring in something different, I I go, well, that's not representative. I, I don't think so, because like I look at the modern tracks that have come in, and I love a lot of the newer tracks. So I love the, the Shanghai, uh, the Malaysian Grand Prix, the, the Korean track I thought was great. Indian Grand Prix, those Tilka drones are great. Uh, uh, Circuit of the Americas is, is one of my top three tracks at the moment. But yeah, so I think when I talk about representative tracks, I think I'm just lingering on the street tracks that have come in. And I, and I, I will stick by this. They've gone mad. They've gone for the street tracks because it brings in money. And I'm sure there's deals with those cities and, and there's a glamour to it. And in all of those negotiations... Those tracks either want to be really early in the calendar or super late in the calendar. They're the premium spots, I think, in the calendar for promo. And I think money has been thrown at that. And that's why we've ended up with the start of the season for two seasons in a row where everyone is complaining bitterly that it's boring and terrible. Uh, but but when we hopefully when we get into the more normal tracks, it, it's going to recover. Am I, am I just an old man? I'm an old man yelling at clouds. Jono... You're relatively relevant age-wise. Am I? Am I? Am I nuts? <laughs> no, no, I don't think you're nuts. But I, you got a great point there. But at the same, and, you know, part of the street circuit fascination is countries and cities don't have to commit to permanent racetracks, which True. costs a lot. And and they tried to do that with Malaysia, and now Malaysia doesn't even host. You know, I don't even know what they. I don't even know if that track still exists anymore at Sepang. I don't know. It's been so it long. Does. I used to love that circuit. It might come um, back actually. And I hope it does. And I have heard some stuff about that, Christian. And I really hope Sepang's back on the calendar. Very bumpy, good old <laughs> tropical weather over there in Sepang. But back to your point is, you say all those circuits, uh, you know, old school circuits back in 1998. Are you saying that those were more representative? Or are you just saying you just enjoyed those circuits? I, are we changing the topic? I'm, no, I'm thinking that the reason I say they're representative is because they're representative of what I know as F1, and if you maybe started watching ten years no. ago, I'm a little bit out of touch. It's that's a, I reckon, and and I reckon that's old man thing because some of those circuits, like the Hungara Ring, was new. I don't think that's a representative circuit at all. Um, what else in that calendar is kind of new? Albert Park was kind of new. I mean, yeah, oh, it existed for forty yeah, years, yeah, 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 but yeah. the modern day version of Albert Park, you know, um, Monaco. I don't know, like the Red Bull Ring. Do we really think the A1 Ring was uh was Christian? Do we really think that that was a representative circuit? No, the altitude there doesn't help us. No. There's always a different winner there. Mexico as well. Yeah, yeah. So, Christian, I, you're, you're I, older I think than me. Some of the new <laughs> tracks that are added are, are really interesting. I love Saudi Arabia. I know Spanish. You're not up on Saudi Arabia. You think it's a death trap and stuff like that, and, and missiles flying and all <laughs> I that. I haven't said But anything. I like the environment. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they did something unique with Saudi Arabia. They built a high speed Formula One track in a city. Maybe those things don't combine so well when you think of it, but I actually do like the racing. So uh, I think there's a little bit of, uh, is U2 ever going to make a new with or without you? Mm, probably not. It's not going to be as good as the original one, right? Yeah. Uh, and the first time we kiss someone, the first time we dance to something, all those memories are just going to last. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, oh, uh, well, you're taking me back now. First kiss, kiss was to uh, was not was <laughs> was not was walking the dinosaur. School, Can't your family I've, hear you in the background? Disco. Be I've told all these stories. I think it was uh, uh, the final countdown. 
actually. I know really? that's wow. quite cliche. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I would have thought both your first kisses would be at the Little Mermaid in Denmark. Maybe. Probably, evidently not. I'm pretty sure uh, Meatloaf had had a big part in, in all this conversation, but we must move on to <laughs> another topic. <laughs> I could linger on the the topic of early love, and I would do anything for love, but I won't do that to you guys because we're moving on with the questions. You could have let that go, Christian. You didn't have to do that. (laughs) Speculation time. Let's see. Scott uh, asks a a question and says, Greetings from Portland, Oregon, which I think is in Alaska. I'm not sure. I'm not up on my American geography. First of all, thank you for for the hard work on the podcast. I really enjoy listening. Being that Spanners is such a staunch neutral, good point, Scott. Uh, this question is probably aimed for the rest of the panel. I am a Ferrari fan. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, Scott. And just so you know, we're here for you. Anytime you want to talk, just get in touch and we'll be, we'll be there. It's tragic. It's tragic, Christian. I know. I know. Uh, it's, it says, uh, I do have hope for a strong second half with Charles and Carlos. Oh, bless him. He has hope. Okay, let's see what we can do to, to mitigate against that. He continues. It seemed to me that they were matching they were matching Alonso's pace with one fewer stop in Canada. Obviously they had a difficult Saturday. Was this primarily due to being able to run in open air and manage, or have they cleaned up the tide degradation issues through upgrades and have a shot of podiums for the balance of the year? Given that excessive tire deg was Ferrari's main issue, it seems significant to me uh, that they could run well in Canada, and not many people are talking about it. Thanks in advance, Scott. Now, I need to be clear that I have I have warmed to my Tafosi brethren. And in the olden days, yes, of course, you were the stormtroopers swarming in my social media, in my in my comment sections. But now you have converted did the stormtroopers end up joining the good people in the end? I think they did, right? No. Did they not? Ugh. Okay. Well, I'll have to think of an analogy where generally baddies ended up being quite good uh, but I, I i even have now i would say genuinely i have got friends that are ferrari fans so i think we're at that point but what i don't want is to give them false hope but can what can you do for scott Jono? do do you see them pushing for podiums over the the season Potentially, yes, and it all comes down to Red Bull's development time dropping due to the cost cap issues they had in, in you know in twenty twenty one. Is that going to affect their development time this year? And that means everybody will catch up. The question is, will Ferrari then leap Aston Martin and Mercedes? Yes, to become the second quickest car. That's the question. There, I, I still believe in the theory that the Ferrari power unit is the quickest in this era in the engine freeze or, or the power unit freeze till twenty twenty five. And the reason I believe that is. Um, they and, and the rumor was that came out at the end of last year that they've gone for quickest PU but bad reliability. Now, the only thing you can change under the next few years under the rule set is your reliability, whereas Mercedes, mm. for example, went with the opposite, and that's why Mercedes cars sort of weren't as quick sort of to begin the era. Point is, if Ferrari get their reliability right and that rumor is true and they keep increasing the reliability, they can run the power unit a lot faster And that's the key to winning in this era, I think, so far. Aero, mechanical grip, all that kind of stuff, it's important. But it's down to, um, are we going to see a a strong second half for Charles and Carlos? Potentially. Are we going to see a strong 2024 and 2025? That's what Ferrari have designed this entire car and this entire strategy to, is for 
the last couple of years of this of this power unit freeze. That's what I believe. Oh my god, that was pathetically hopeful. Christian, bring some sanity to this. I'm just gonna re- I, I put down one line. I'm just gonna read it. Okay, Scott, I don't know, but I believe in Fred Vasseur, and big things are happening on the personal front these days. I'm sad to say my Ferrari stopwatch is set to 24. That's you. Is that your words, Christian? That's you're my set, words. You're, you've yeah. like basically wiped the Ferrari calendar clear for 2023. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, uh, I think Fred Vasseur is... Uh, I, I, I believe in that guy. I think he Why? can do Why? something. Why? He has, Why justify he has, that? Uh, he has some oil in his fingers. Uh, but also, he's, he's a bright fellow. He, he knows the other team principals. Uh, he knows the drivers. He, he, a lot of the drivers used to drive for Fred Vasseur when they were growing up karting. He, he has the right contacts. And I, there's something about Fred Vasseur. And I, I think we need to give him this year to, to hire the right people, uh, get things calm, but do something about the strategy stuff, uh, calm the drivers, neutralize. Okay. Well, uh, As we said last year and the year before that and the year before that, but still. We're being joined live by our patron Slack group, of course. So uh, EJ in our patron Slack group is saying to Scott, look, this is a safe place. And Wes has said, wow, <laughs> this poor soul, it keeps getting worse and worse. As you read, Mark simply says no to all of Scott's email. Pete says, surely Ferrari have used their quota of mistakes. So they're going to be great for the next 10 seasons to, so to, there's no there's no shared optimism in our patron slack group well by the way if you want to be a patron it is a safe place it's a multi-faith community so there are there are people of all uh, broad spectrums and, and beliefs in the f1 community we've got red bull fans in there that we have we've got ferrari fans in there i've seen a few alpine fans i've seen french f1 fans in our patron slack group consider joining us patreon.com Forward slash you know Apex. I'm going to post right now in the live stream group a car crash I once had. Really? Why? That's exclusive because oh, wow. exclusivity. Oh, so you're offering that as exclusive content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. let's, see, uh, let's see Christian Pedersen uh, crashing in a go-kart. And uh, there's all sorts of other reasons to support us, but mostly it's so that we can continue producing content like this without being in a blind freelancer panic that everything is going to crumble away under our feet patreon.com forward slash missed apex hope to see you there right uh we're still on ferrari so yeah the the the, the thing is this season john i think you're right i think they have mm. soundly fallen back to uh, fourth place i think and i, I feel like they're going to be there for a while uh, let, this is a good excuse to briefly move to what you said about Red Bull when you're saying, are the cost cap implications going to kick in? I, I, I know, but basically, is what I think. I think it's, it's not affecting mm-hmm. them at all. And, and this is what we were talking about at the time we, they got the penalty. Blue in the face I was saying, no, this is not going to affect them. This, and, and everyone said, no, it's really it's such a significant uh, penalty. And it, I, just, I just don't think it was. Um, maybe coupled a little bit with the penalty for finishing first as a success ballast. But they've already talked about turning their attention to 2024. And we're seven seven races in. So no, it clearly hasn't been a penalty. Even if they, they turn to 2024 now, I think Red Bull feel like they've got it in the bag. And that's why they can do that. Mm. Especially with Mercedes saying, this concept is good. We think we're going to be fighting Red Bull after Silverstone. But we need to look to 2024. That's what Lewis Hamilton yeah. has been saying. 
So now it's not going to affect them, even though with both of those teams turning their attention to 2024, I can't see Ferrari challenging either of them. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Oh, that's the point. But I, look, the cost cap penalty didn't come in till late last year, and they've already developed developments and and car advantages come months and months ahead of time so by the time the penalty kicks in and by the time it affects development is going to be the end of this year that we finally see it and we're already seeing the car sort of i don't want to say decline in pace but the other teams are catching up now the problem for ferrari as well and switching back to ferrari is scott mentioned the tie deck issue then he says not enough people are talking about it and yes that is is a factor that's coming to play this year but the cost cap, I think, is Ferrari's biggest downfall. They were a team who were renowned for pouring money into a sport and not getting enough value out of the money they put in. The whole point of the cost cap is the complete opposite theory, is make the most of little money because everybody's going to be on the same sort of level playing field. Ferrari can't mismanage a $600 million budget and barely beat a team on a $450 million budget, for example. Now that they're all going to spend the same amount on a cost cap, it's only going to get worse for Ferrari. And so to me, that's the other side of it. And this is where the side that switches, Christian, is to me, the the downfall of Ferrari right now is they need to find a way to, to change their sort of, I don't want to say culture or anything like that, but to figure out how to make the most of value for money now. It's not like the last 20 years. What if they took their brain and they used it twice? So to get more aero time, they were just finishing lower in the constructors. Then you would get more oh. aero next year. So basically, so, you're just saying we take the brain <laughs> and we use it twice. So if you're, if you're saying to me that Ferrari will just dump this season like an NBA basketball team. Like they did pack. the last 10 seasons to get enough time in the winter. Is I that mean, what they've been doing for the, all it's these mad. years? They've Gen- been tanking. Genius. I take it all back. I take it all back. Uh, Ferrari, you're absolute geniuses. But, you know, maybe 
you kind of you may as well at this point settle for fourth place and, and start developing for 2024. Sorry, we couldn't be more positive about that, Scott. Also, not not at all sorry. So let's move on to another listener question. <laughs> This might be a, a quick one here from, from Justin, but it's a, it's a reasonable question. We talk a lot about tyre strategy. Instead of messing with the tyres in order to get rid of one-stop races, which I think everyone on this panel doesn't like, and causing more two- to three-stoppers, why don't we simply make the races longer? Sure, Max can do 50 laps on some mediums, but could he do 70? I'm aware of the two-hour time limit, but that seems like something that could be changed and bargained for. So I'm going to go first on this one and say, Justin... Thank you very much for your, for your email. That is a disgusting suggestion because that is the gateway to Le Mans 24, which although I very much enjoyed for the duration of the barbecue I was at, n- n- wild horses couldn't drag me to care about the Le Mans 24-hour race once I'd gone to sleep, fully gone to sleep and woken up on a whole nother day and then cared about the race that was still happening. No, Formula One is about the right length. Two houses are about the right length. But it's an interesting what if, Jono. What if they just made the races four hours long? Would that solve all the tyre stuff? Obviously, the fuel then comes into it. No, and there's a common trend throughout the world in that the best sports out there in the world are sort of around that two-hour length as a Formula 1 race is. Now, what you'd have to consider here is can the power units last? That'll probably increase costs because then you need to increase the amount of power units you need to use over the course of a season. It goes against... Formula One's theory of sort of reducing costs, which is what they're trying to do right now with the cost cap and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, I don't think that's the cause. And I think, uh, look, we can get two to three stop races with the old 2011 Pirelli tires. We had three to four stop races back then when they first came in. So uh, I I don't think, um, are we, is there, a, is there an end goal with this question, Justin, that uh, he's aiming for? Is it m- for more entertainment? Is it just to find out if Max can mm. do 50 laps on a certain set I of think tires? It's just, What's the end goal from this? I, I think it's just a desperation to see, and I feel it as well, an end to the, the one-stops because the whole point of the Pirelli era was to create a tyre delta with cars on track with different strategies. And when you have a basic one-stop, you don't really see it. You've got two choices, either plan A or the George Russell plan, which is go a bit longer, hope for a safety car. And that's that's not the most interesting way at the moment to, to get around these tracks. I think if you're going to persist with one-stop races, then just forget it. Forget about the whole Pirelli plan. Get Bridgestone in. Just have durable tyres and just go because there's no difference between just having really good race cars and really good race tyres and the current Pirelli plan now. They're not doing the wear thing, Christian, that's all. I think, again, as Jonathan saying, uh, the, the question is, why the question? Uh, what, what do we want to gain? Um, back in the days, the cars were made to basically break down when they've crossed the finishing line. I know the cars aren't built like that today, but they are still all built at a limit. And that is why we had the debate when we uh, introduced the sprint, uh, sprint races, uh, all the engine manufacturers were going, but if we're going to do six sprint races, which is X kilometers, then we need one more engine in the regulations, yada, yada, more money for engines. Yada. So everything works together, basically. But I think the main thing is the first thing that Jonathan uh, was uh, talking about is how we as humans, um, what's, what's our span 
of attention. <laughs> and two, <laughs> two, two hours is the limit, not basically. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right. Honestly, I, I, li- I literally, I went in with the best intentions for Le Mans, right? And I've always said it's way too long. You should just have shorter races. I go to Brad Philpott's Le Mans party. Great, great party. Lovely company. Amazing. And I, I went in there and I was honest, like, I don't feel like I'm going to be converted. So my, my aim is just to sit here and not actively ruin it for everyone else, which I did. So I went in there with enthusiasm. <laughs> but like, you've got like eight hours in. I'm like, lads, it's eight hours. What? Here's the thing I hate about, um, and, and there's a little, you know, for people who might be new to Formula One or new to the podcast, there is, or even new to motorsport, there is a sort of friendly rivalry between endurance racing fans and F1 fans. There are some both that share that share both. But my friendly rivalry with it is when they go, oh, Formula One's so boring. Oh, my God, I can't watch this 90-minute Grand Prix race. But next weekend, do you want to watch this 24-hour yeah. race with me? No. <laughs> I want to go. I want to go cook food and go enjoy life with my girlfriend. And and you know, I can't watch twenty four hour race. Come on! And that's the thing I hate is when endurance racing fans act as if a twenty four hour race is the best thing in the world. But for some reason, a ninety minute Grand Prix race with yeah. one or two stops in an F one is not. Yeah. Um. Back to what Christian said is that um it is true, and this is what would actually, and this is where Justin's question could be very interesting if we did extend the races and we kept the same amount of PUs and gearboxes. Would we have an Andrea de Cesaris sort of late 1980s F1 where we have like, I think he, he retired in every race except two that season mm. for various reasons. And uh, honestly, that could make for a good Formula One sort of season there with mechanically. I have one idea I would like to see. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but uh, I, I think uh, what we, we all have this interest in trying to push the drivers into new scenarios, into new... Uh, uh, challenges to see what is going to happen. Uh, and I think we will never get that, what we are seeking, that extreme thing that would happen. It, 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 there are limits to what Formula One can contain. And right now we have a, an entire field that are within a second. It's so tight, everything. Instead, we should change the whole FIA, gala, annual, whatever thing. And then after the season, all, tw- all drivers should do a 24-hour card race with the entire <laughs> team. And during the card race, that should be like the annual uh, celebration where everyone get their po- uh, uh, whatever uh, medals and make it a racing fest. Do it at Wembley. Do it inside with a, a purpose-built uh, racetrack. Have <laughs> maybe Taylor Swift performing, yes. a romance, Alonso. She makes the pussycat dolls. Things, no, yeah. not the That's pussycat not dolls. true not anymore, the I don't think. No, we can't. That's too, too complicated. But we could have Shakira. Which would be That'd amazing. Be yeah. And uh, she would tell the truth. <laughs> exactly. Especially if she <laughs> conveyed everything through her hips. Uh, this has been a great topic, but I want to make sure that we get a few more more questions in. And actually, like uh, this next question from, from Joshua, I, I think is, is fundamental to, to F1's whole talent regime. Like, How do we bring talented drivers through? Are we getting the best that motorsport has to offer? So here's Joshua's question. Thank you for being my F1 friends. He leads his, his podcast off with. And that's a great start, Joshua, because I, growing up, was the only person I knew that was into F1. And I only cared about it because my dad gave me a choice of MotoGP, which is stupid because the bikes kind of lean over, but they don't fall down, which is dumb. But there's no way it can physically happen. So I never fell in love with MotoGP and Superbikes. And uh, rugby, which 
as I've stated previously, there's no one knows the rules. The referee blows the whistle. Everyone looks at him. <laughs> he invents a scenario. He doesn't even know why he blew the whistle. He just got excited because everyone's hugging. So, and, and then the other choice he gave me was Formula One. So Formula One is what I fell in love with. Uh, but, but I didn't have people growing up through all my career until I started this podcast. I didn't have people I could chat with to F1 with re- on a regular basis. And then suddenly I can chat about F1 all the time. So Joshua, you are also my F1 friend. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Thank you all for being my F1 friends. I have a silly question. No, you don't. I've already said it's a good question. You're making a fool of me, Joshua. I'm 32. Uh, congratulations. Uh, you've got your life ahead of you. I'm assuming you've just had kids. So, you know, you're going to feel the full impact of just a lack of energy pretty, pretty soon. I'm 32, says Joshua. Hamilton is 38 years old. Max is 25 years old. Where is my generation's world driver champion? Bottas failed. Ricardo failed. Perez failed. Do I have to be, do I have a right to be outraged? Love you guys. Thanks again. Keep it up from Joshua. Amazing question. For, for a lot of, what, Vettel? Vettel? Isn't Vettel? Vettel's like 100. Vettel's a dad. No, no Vettel's, Vettel's 35. Yeah, so he doesn't, I, I still think that would apply. Like, if you have, say, uh, you know, 10 years between those generations, uh, Vettel with his odd four years, there is still a big gap there, isn't there? And like in any other championship, what, like name a top series where th- there's a big 10-year gap where there's no star that comes through and starts and showing and dominating. And normally, and this is my big concern with Formula One is when you get that kind of gap and when you stop having people coming through to challenge these guys at the very top, sometimes when you have people at the top and they dominate for a long, long time, it just means your sport isn't that healthy in terms of, of new talent. And I've, I've often worried about this with Formula One. Well, look, apart from you've got Verstappen, Hamilton, Vettel. Now, you take out Nico Rosberg in there. That was... Uh, no, nah, Nico earned that title, but I'm just saying you take him out because we want this theory to work. Mm. Um, yeah, but generally, we've only had three world champions since 2010, apart from Rosberg. Four world champions. So that that's that's made a big difference. And and look, I I feel sorry for Josh um, in this situation. <laughs> I'm not complaining because honestly, uh, Max is pretty much my age, yes. and Hamilton was the driver I looked up to pretty much growing up my entire life as a young kid. And so uh, I've won in this situation, and, and I I do feel sorry for Josh because I don't know what he's talking about right now because I wouldn't have experienced that. I feel privileged. <laughs> I think there was something about the time in Formula One. Uh, uh, around the time Hamilton was introduced, that uh, end uh, zeros, where uh, it still played a way too role how much money you had, if you had uh, been nurtured by a team. And it was still like the Bernie era. But they came to realize that there will not be a new Hamilton every year. There will, no teams have a new Hamilton. So we need to do something ourselves. Uh, and I think it was around that time when they really started focusing on it for, for real to get the uh, new young talent into the sport. Ah, oh, thank you very much, Wes. Yeah, Wes says, like tennis. And tennis, I think, is a reasonable example because, okay, so, you know, as a working class kid, what do you have access to? Well, I had access to uh, team sports. I had access to football. It was cheap. Cricket was relatively cheap because most of the local teams would have a kit bag and you could you could borrow it. As long as you could buy your own box for hygiene reasons, then you're okay. Football, you just needed a football and you could go go have a kick around. Tennis, you had to hire the court. 
and you needed equipment. So any any sport where you need equipment, you don't realize. I think a lot of people don't realize how quickly down the ladder people kind of go. Ah, oh, well, I won't I won't do that sport because I need to go and buy a hockey stick or a, or I need to go and buy a tennis racket. I need to buy padding. I need to buy these things. So the more accessible the sport, I think the more the sport will suffer from uh, from limited talent. And court time in tennis, I think, is one of those for for grassroots. So yeah, it does make you kind of worry and, and and f1 though i think one of the the factors that played into this particular generational gap is drivers extending their careers suddenly so because we had superstar drivers suddenly kind of come onto the scene f1 i think wanted to keep the likes of of kimi raikkonen going you know they wanted fernando alonso in the sport i, I bet there are a, a part of the negotiations with lewis hamilton staying in the sport is from at the FIA themselves. Like, I bet you Liberty Media are, are trying to make sure Lewis Hamilton will stay in the sport at 38. And he's now talking about being in Formula One again for a good while. So that means he's probably going to be a driver in his 40s in Formula One. If this was a, a sport less like tennis and more like soccer, it would be unlikely that Fernando Alonso is there at 40, that Lewis Hamilton there is there at 41. I think that might be part of the problem, Jono. Uh, look, potentially, definitely, potentially. I, it's a <laughs> Josh's question is, is a difficult one. Like, I don't know. Do we want <laughs> to? Do we wind? Do, it's a good comment. Do we turn back the tape? Do we wind back the clock and what sort do we of do? be like, yeah. let's give birth and let's let's raise Sergio Perez and everyone. Let's get around him. He had a lot of money around him. You he know, did. That, yeah. that, you know, he he did. So, um, look, Josh has said, do I have a right to be outraged? Uh, yes, you do. I I feel sorry for you. And I um and I'd like to you know send my condolences. There is also a solution which is you know expand your your range of motorsports. So this this is why I feel like there should be like a formula Formula One point five as well. Because yeah, you can say to people, well, go and watch rallycross, and you can you can get involved and 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 you know appreciate those players and 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 be a fan of those drivers. But I do feel like if there was a second tier of Formula One, you could you could you could find people who are doing really well in a certain space and you could support them in the same way that you can support Coventry City or, uh, 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 let's see, uh, Nesved FC for you, Christian, or uh, uh, Cairns. I don't know how good the Cairns football team is. But, you know, you could find support all the way down and not feel lost in this field of a very narrow field of 20 drivers where they're all, each driver, in a way, is a little mini franchise and it's hard to let them go. Every time they dump one of the top five drivers out of Formula One or one of them retires, so Kimi Raikkonen retiring even, Kimi Raikkonen who really didn't set the world on light when, uh, on fire when you talk about, is it S-Class you're going for, Christian? Uh, he, he wasn't <laughs> S-Class, but even when he left Formula One, I think they would have seen that as a big hit. And who did they get in instead? You know, Who was the replacement for that? Because they're little mini I franchises. I actually think Kimi Raikkonen was potentially going to be S class uh, in his prime McLaren years, but something went wrong. He had the potential to become S class, I would say. Mm. And also, uh, the Mercedes top line is called S class. Maybe it's from. No, uh, the chat room <laughs> has said that perhaps you have picked this up from Gran Turismo, where S class is the top class. That is true. That is very true. All right, let's get Super one class. more. One more listener question. We've got time. We've got time, haven't we? Here we go. All right, so this is from Ryan. Hi, map crew. That's us. Do you think that if by the end of the season, let's say Abu Dhabi, Stroll hasn't performed as he should, 
with the car underneath him. Uh, missing a race wouldn't change his position in the standings. He, he Maybe he'll become mysteriously, he has an illness, and Drogovic gets to step in to see what he can do. Can Lawrence Stroll be cutthroat enough with his own son and drop him? That's the main question. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Jono, can Lawrence Stroll be cutthroat enough with his own son and drop him? No, it, it won't happen. And look, Stroll has missed uh, early parts of this season uh, with testing. He had an injury. He's still getting into, still recovering from it all. And I think we're in an era of F1 where we have to give more leeway to drivers who miss the early preparations or some form of testing time. Yes, people can go, well, what about Nick DeVries last year? Jumped into a Williams and performed really well. Good argument. Fair enough. But I think this year, um, Stroll, who allegedly has you know world championship potential, according to Alonso, didn't get the right sort of uh, <laughs> potential um, like preparations for the year. So I think we do need to give him a bit more time. But at the end of the day, I don't think he's as bad as we think he is. And I think he's proven in the past he can be quicker. Um, at the end of the day, Lawrence Stroll has got a, a business on his hands here. And he's invested hundreds of million dollars into not just the Formula One team, but into Aston Martin as a brand. And he has to consider, well, if we're not finishing higher up in the standings, how am I going to make my money back? And does that mean I need to get rid of my son to score more points, to score more prize money, to then earn more money? Because he's got, and, and if people look into the facts and what Lawrence Stroll has invested in this, he's got a big decision on his hands here. Nepotism or, you know, um, go with a driver who could challenge Alonso and actually score a lot of points and wins and potentially things like that. No offense to Lance, who's, who I think is a quality driver himself. I agree. I think Lance is, uh, 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 he's not S tier. He's not a five. He's maybe a 4.5, 4. No. 4.7. Uh, what? Uh, oh, come. Christian, oh. Christian, behave. Please. No, Christian. People are listening but, to this, Christian. They will hear this. You're talking what? out loud. Why didn't you say that from the <laughs> get-go? I mean, uh, I'll give him a three uh, at I, best. I'm not sure Lawrence Stroll is having... Uh, I'm not sure everything is just sh- shiny times. Everyone's happy. At Aston Martin these days because the car, uh, the car business is not going very well. And there is some new investor stuff going on. He's got the new facilities being built. And I think when you have a business at, at that level uh, and you're uh, involved in expansion and stuff like that, uh, things are changing. You can't just keep your son in the seat if he doesn't perform. Uh, I mean, if you, if you want your mechanics to, uh, to give you 110% and you have a 90% driver, I think uh, the mechanics are going to uh, suffer from that eventually. But also, I don't think we should forget that there's a reason Lawrence Stroll is wearing his trousers just below his armpits and they are light blue. The reason is he's a <laughs> businessman. Okay. Uh, I didn't know businessmen did that. I didn't know. Eventually, eventually, uh, I think he will make the decision that is best for the firm. But uh, he could still save himself, Lance Troll, if you ask me. I think he has uh, uh, 2023 to go. Look, along with this, it, it, he, the question from Ryan has been, well, could we put in Felipe Drogovic to do a better job? Uh, no offense to Felipe Drogovic, but now you're going to put a driver with less prep who's True. had not the best junior career. Yeah, people say, oh, you won Formula 2, and that's amazing. I'm sorry, but anybody who takes more than one year to win Formula 2, to me is not a driver that's going to challenge Fernando Alonso. You need to be winning that in your first year, regardless of the car or team you're in. And that's what drivers have proved in the past. 
I, I don't think that's the solution either. Mm. I think the solution is is stability, and it's to keep with Lance, keep with some experience there, and give him more time to get used to the car. Lance Stroll, compared to his teammate right now, is he's behind. Obviously, we we know that. Like, there's no world in which Lance Stroll is going to catch up and be as good as Fernando Alonso. If that happens, they've 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 knifed Alonso's tires or they've pulled his fuel hose. However, in his defense, you know, looking at the, 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 the general state of teammate relationships, there are a lot of drivers that are behind their, their teammates at the moment. So, you know, to, to a lesser extent, Sainz has been over the last two years a good step behind Leclerc. Russell is probably, you know, a half a step behind Lewis Hamilton. Perez is a big chunk behind. So that's actually, at the moment, that's the comparable comparison you could say well is Lance Stroll any further behind Alonso than Perez is behind Max Verstappen so if you want to be you know generous you know let's look at it that way De Vries let's look at uh, uh, Sargent you know so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of teams where that is happening at the moment I think the reasonable thing to say is you have to expect your sister car to be not more than a couple of positions behind your leading car and that is with no names mentioned or anything. So if your leading car is uh, position four, your sister car is position six, seven. It's not 12 or 11. Yeah. And if that keeps on going, then you start asking questions. Journalists start asking uh, Lance during the press every time. Pressure on the team. This will set on people's shoulders. I'm just, it's, yeah. it's a bad snowball. It is. So... I'm going to, I try to be positive here on Miss Apex Podcast. I try not to be the guy really sniping so hard, from the sidelines. And look, it is, when a team's doing really well, there's less to say about a team. When a driver's doing well, there's less to say about a driver. Naturally, the talking points on content always revolve more to when drivers are struggling or teams are struggling. So like having spent, uh, you know, uh, uh, a fair amount of time talking to people from Aston Martin, like for some reason, I, that people from Aston Martin have listened to this show and I have had people from Aston Martin saying, I do like your show. You're way too harsh on Lance Stroll. You're way too harsh on the team. And I respect that. And I've had good back and forths. And, and then I was a little nervous when I went to a recent event and, I, and there's eight people from Aston Martin there. I'm going, oh no, is that one of the people who's told me off over DMs? But look, I, I, the feeling I get at Aston Martin is the staff are happy. Like people are happy under Lawrence Stroll. And that team is, is running, a, 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 has a good vibe Everyone there is is like feeling it. They feel look up, looked after, and they've got team spirit. So any kind of implication that it's you know some Lance Lawrence Stroll conglomerate and he's a dictator and he's running it all for his own personal gain doesn't seem to have filtered down to the the team. The team morale looks like it's absolutely fantastic. However, I don't buy that Lawrence Stroll is there for any other real reason other than promoting his son and getting his son going forward. He obviously has to no. present that. He has to present that to his, his shareholders and the team to keep everyone motivated. But if, if Lance Stroll tomorrow just goes, I'm just, I'm like, I'm fully bored, dad. You've been holding me back from my real ambition, which is to be a hedge fund manager. And I just don't want to do this anymore. I want, I want to get back to just in, in financial investments. He quits F1 I think there is a, a tactical withdrawal. Uh, obviously, there'll be some face-saving. But th that's my overall impression. Like, tell me if I'm wrong. Someone with inside knowledge, tell me if I'm wrong. Yep. But the whole Lance, Lawrence Stroll project in F1 is about Lance Stroll, whatever they might want to tell you. You're both no. trying to get in. Okay, Jono, then Christian. 
Okay. First of all, uh, Lance uh, Lawrence Stroll is a proven billionaire. He's he's done his achievements. Think of him as the equivalent when it comes to money, as somebody who's won his world championships and he's <laughs> okay, Kimi sure. Raikkonen, yeah, yeah. and he's waiting to retire. You know, basically that was Kimi's last ten years of his F one career in a sense was just waiting to just get over and done with. That was Lawrence Stroll. Now, what can you do to motivate yourself? Own an F one team, which barely anyone in history, I think, has made any money off. You know, it's no, it's almost a no, difficult no. task. Now, what he's done is he's bought Racing Point, saved them, rebranded it into Aston Martin, a company in Aston Martin which was already sort of failing and had a lot of sort of money that was going down the drain and is still struggling. He's got their branding, invested in the company, got their branding on the cars. Now he's got a potential race winner. And what you're talking about now is not only does the car brand benefit from this, but so does Lawrence Stroll. He makes a lot of money out of this if both succeed. So the bonus to this is his son is in F1 and he gives him a chance to race. I don't think that's the main sort of his main agenda. Respectfully, that's a great perspective. I don't agree. Christian. Now you're saying the thing about AM, the AM team actually listening to this. I want to retract some of the things I said. <laughs> no, well, I just, I just want to, I just want to prove a point. I'm not I saying think, Mike. Uh, I'm not saying Mike Crack is listening to this. I'm saying you know some of the the guys in the in the garage. <laughs> uh, I think Lawrence Stroll is a businessman in the Formula One paddock more than he's a dad. That is all I'm saying. I, I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's uh, a naive or anything. I, I, I think he's proved his Formula One point. He's been in there for ages, and uh, he's not just there for the money. He he likes what he's doing, and he has a grand plan. And maybe his son is part of the plan, mm. but I don't see his son being Pivot. the reason the mm. plan doesn't succeed. Oh, okay. So maybe maybe that some maybe the truth lies somewhere in between. Maybe his main motivation was fueled by Lance Stroll being there, but in the process, he found out that his real son was the company that he was founding all along, you know, like a Hollywood movie. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't look. Like, oh, I, I cry. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. John, but why, wait, Spanners, my, my thing is, why would you hire Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso to challenge your son? If you were going to do anything, you would hire a, a person point. in a second it's car that, who's complete crap. It's the, cor- it's the correct point to a point. So, like, if you want to drive Aston Martin forward, you can't then just go, okay, this is maybe slightly unfair, but let's say... Let's pick Giovinazzi as a second driver and out and out say Lance Stroll is your first driver. Let's hope Lance beats him and looks like he's good. But at the moment, if they do that, and I think Giovinazzi, I think that's reasonably fair. I think if well, they... Luca Badawa would be a, a worse example <laughs> Le- if you want Luca to use him. Luca Badawa is 48 years old. Okay. But uh, I don't know. Let's think of uh, like a pro. Giovinazzi just won the Le Mans. So, I mean, he's. I know. I know. That's why that came to my mind and went out as immediately a bad example. But let's say you pick a driver who you know you're not going to give exactly the same car to, who's an out and out number two driver who will still make your 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 son look good. So, a driver who is. There are drivers out there who just want a job who want to be in F1, who are happy to pick up results and know and well, understand parents. their role. Oh, mate, Isn't that why, why Paris why took the Red Bull car? Why have you got to do that to me? Why have you got to do that to <laughs> me? Oh, but it's the truth, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so, but let's say you you have Lance Stroll there and you, this season, instead of Alonso, you've given it to Barrichello. Yeah, yeah, or Badoa, mm-hmm. an age-appropriate Barrichello, and <laughs> you don't give them the upgrades first. Aston Martin now... What, what, I haven't done the maths, but maybe they look like the fifth best team. Maybe they look like the, the sixth best team mm. because Stroll has been nowhere, injury aside, but even in recent races, he's been nowhere. 
Lance Stroll's your lead driver this season. Aston Martin look like they've done nothing this season. So you can't do that right now because Lance Stroll clearly isn't there. So to drive the project forward, you do a bait and switch. You bring your, your Vettel in, you bring your Alonso in, and Alonso gets old and retires at some point or falls out with the, the team. Like I, I can't imagine it's going to be massively difficult to find an excuse to, to get rid of Alonso if you think Stroll is at that point. And then you bring in a young rookie, don't give him the upgrades, lead Lance Stroll forward. And also, I think one of the main points that gets lost in all of this is Lawrence Stroll is worth $6 billion euros space points. That's like, I don't think many people grasp how much money that is. Like that's enough money to make, you know, to, to raise a fund to go and buy Formula One. That's enough money to put forward for a serious offer to say to other networks and, uh, and, and business owners and financial people, let's just buy F1. So he could buy F1. He bought Aston Martin, but he could probably buy Mercedes. F1 team. If he should Mercedes, buy this podcast. He if, should buy if, this podcast if, for just should. one of those six billions. And and I'd love and, to get paid and a few I, million I will, for I will sell. And if you point out the hypocrisy, and you will have five left. I mean, what's the deal? Yeah, but you know, but like it, uh, there was a point where you know perhaps uh, Mercedes were fighting for their you know, their backing from from Daimler. Like maybe there there could have been mm. a point where Stroll could have gone and bought Mercedes instead. But it, I don't think it was available. So like he he has a vast vast personal fund. Along with that, uh, Mercedes and Toto Wolf, um, well, Toto Wolf, I, sh- I should backtrack, said Mercedes have proven to have increased their marketability and and um, sort of I don't want to say profits or you know what I mean. No, that's no, 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 no. Of, with the cost cap, they now make a profit off the team. Yeah, they now make a profit, and and it's increased their sort of visibility within the car, the motoring space, and the and the motorsport space too. So it does make a difference, success in Formula One, and that's what Lawrence Stroll's trying to chase. He owns, what, a quarter of Aston Martin, the actual car brand, let alone he owns the F1 team as well, which he's got their backing. Um, I think he's a genius, and I think it has nothing to do with his son. And I think his son is there as an added bonus going, well, look, uh, Dad, I've, I've, you know, I'm running a great company, and uh, can, I, can I come and work for you one day? Is that all right? <laughs> Bang, go, have a seat. Why not? That's the way it's working at the moment. Okay, but look, let's say Lance Stroll, has, he's overcome an injury. He's, he's hanging in there, uh, but he... We're assuming that, okay, this is the bottom of where he's doing. He's struggling, but he could do worse. So, yeah, he looked good last season against Vettel, who is someone that I've never particularly rated. And I, people will get upset at this, but when the Red Bull thing was happening, I thought, oh, this is like, this is Schumacher all over again. He is going to get found out. And I feel like he did kind of get found out and find his level, right? So, so putting Vettel at the end of his career, at the end of his motivation, in with Lance Stroll was genius. I understood that. I wonder whether they underestimated just how good Fernando Fernando Alonso is. But like that, that was a very easy, almost like a, a, a mummy lion killing a baby deer, but not quite, and then letting the cub chase it. But this season, it's it's looking bad, and it could get worse. So at the moment, he's not crashing into people every five minutes. He's not hitting a wall every five minutes, he's going about his business on a race weekend and looking slow. That could get better, like Lawrence Stroll was saying, oh, he's going to be alongside Fernando Alonso. No, he's not, unless something weird happens. It could get worse. He could start racing significantly worse. He could start having, you know, DNFs. This is not a good position he's in. I I don't want to underplay how badly Lance Stroll is doing at the moment compared to Fernando Alonso. 
even though I started off all positive, my true my true feelings came out in the end. <laughs> Can't no. hide the truth. Can't. He is uh, he's still eighth. He's eighty points behind Alonso in, in the championship, which is three races. If you think about mm. it, if 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 Lance Stroll won the next three races. Almost going into the summer break, I think three races from now is Belgium, or, or, or I don't know what it is. Is it is it right on the summer break? That's embarrassing when you're that far behind. It's not even midway through the season. Um, yeah, look, Alonso's wiped the floor with him. And what makes it worse is Alonso's not even in his prime. He's a 42, 41-year-old Whoa. going on 42 next month. How dare you? He, that is the prime. He could... He could be 50 times quicker, I think, Fernando Alonso. If, he was, if this was 10 years ago, if this is 2010 Alonso, the deadliest... Driver pairing combo we had all time. <laughs> Alonso in a Ferrari 2010. If this mm. was that Alonso, it would be even worse. We could have seen a potential Aston Martin mm. victory by now. And that would have made things a lot worse for, for Lance Stroll. So Lawrence has a, has a big decision to make. What's going to happen for the next few years? I think he'll just stick with Lance Stroll, if I'm honest. I don't think there's too much of a doubt in that. One short point, and it's a completely different topic. But I think if they make the cars lighter, let's say 200 kilos off, we're not going to see 41-year-old drivers in Formula 1 in the future. Maybe. Maybe. And, and look, as much as I love Fernando Alonso, and as much as I love Lewis Hamilton being in the sport, other sports don't have people my age at the top of their game still being able to compete. Like, like <laughs> Jono, you don't know this yet, but, but Christian, mm. Christian knows your body doesn't get any better past 35. There is a distinct uh, pinnacle. I'm getting there. And then you start feeling and you go, ah, oh, that that pain's new, and then and then as you get to like forty, you're like that could potentially be death. Uh, that pain, I've never heard, never felt that before. You guys haven't heard of <laughs> of treatment and massaging and all this other stuff. Like Tom Brady was great in his early forties. Oh, That's another sport. Anyone? Oh. Who, does anybody know who Tom Brady is that listens to this podcast? American football. American football. Jono, all I'm going to say is there's a difference between going to the doctor at 25, like you are. And when me and Christian go to the doctor, it's very much a managed decline. I just, I want you to prepare for that. Uh, but you have to, you basically have to accept someone entering your body uh, space. <laughs> oh, okay, space. The space at the yeah, end. Uh, made it a bit... Don't forget that boy. Yeah, Jono, you've got a lot to look forward to, but you have a sparkling career ahead of you. We'll make sure we include your show notes in the, in the, uh, in the, the, your, your links to your social media, sorry in the show notes yep. below. And uh, I loved you as a host of the Monaco Grand Prix. I'm going to use you at least one more time this season because I may have been invited to something and hopefully be far too sozzled to be a competent host, in which case I would want you to step in. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm always down for it, Spanners. You know I am. And you know I love these podcasts. I just wish we had it. We had, and you know what? Thanks to the to the listeners too. The mailbag questions were great. And we had a lot more we could answer too. I wish we yeah. had more time. Well, we can just do it again another week soon uh, but say out loud where we can follow you as well uh yeah so at johnny s8 j-o-n-n-y-e-s-s-8 uh, i'm on twitter instagram best places to follow me um feel free to message i'm always happy to respond and, and just chat f1 in general and the slack chat you've been great too love the slack uh they've always been awesome too so Patreon, uh, follow me there patreon.com forward slash missed apex uh Jono, do me a favor on twitter post more of your reporter clips we're like, oh, I'm here. I was watching a baseball game where a kangaroo <laughs> popped out of a, a wallaby's nutsack. It was, well, that's, uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to use that line today. Yeah, I'm going to go it. to work in a few hours. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I want to see those clips on your Twitter. See Thank you. <laughs> go and follow Jono and look forward to hearing more from him on Mr. Apex podcast and our rogue Viking 
Christian Benison. You briefly, I peer pressured you back onto Twitter and social media, but you have given up. I, I, I answered a post I saw, and immediately after that, I just deleted Twitter it. <laughs> because it just turned me into this human I didn't want to be. No, uh, yeah, there yeah, is definitely. You, well, you know it, the Twitter disease. Um, it, uh, yeah, I know. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. I'm not coming back. That's for sure. But uh, I just wanted to uh, reiterate what Jonathan said. Uh, every time there's questions uh, in this podcast, people are just so sincere. People yes. are so yeah, yeah, into yeah. it, and uh, it's just a pleasure. Yeah, I want to reiterate. Yeah, what Jono said. Like when we do these mailbag shows, the reason we keep doing them is because you you just think of topics and angles that that don't necessarily spring to mind. So when there's not a race, when there's not a, a news drum beat. Uh, you guys just going, hey, this is on my mind, gives us fantastic things to talk about. And please do do respond. I meant what I said at the top of the show. Like, don't feel like the emailing me is is trivial. I think from, you know, on a podcast or a podcast listener, I really do feel like there is a connection. I feel that for the podcast that I listen to. And I always email them as well. And I'm always delighted to get a response. So just chat with me. You can email me, spanners at mistapex.net. My DMs are always open on twitter and on facebook and on instagram but i don't really understand instagram that much but follow me <laughs> at spanners ready richard ready on facebook and i think spanners ready on instagram and missed apex at missed apex f1 until we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast <laughs>